listening to Connection Church's podcast. Well, good morning, church. <laughs> Thanks, my Chi Alpha people. Hey, I am. Uh, my name is Richard Burke. I am the Chi Alpha director, and campus pastor, which is a campus ministry here at Georgia Southern. I've been doing this for about six or seven years. I've been involved in the church here, Connection, for the past couple of years. And it's an honor and it's a privilege to be here and to speak this morning to you guys. It's an honor each week to come in and to worship with you and to be one with you guys and lift up our voices together and sing and praise the Lord each and every week together. We're gonna to be continuing in the book of John chapter 17. But before I do that, let us pray. Brandon, last week, spoke from verses 18 and 19 that say, as you sent me into the world also, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that we would be sanctified by the truth of God's word. That we would be brought closer to Jesus because of the truth of who he is and what he came on this earth to do. Jesus, make us more like you. Sanctify us by your truth this morning. I pray for everyone that is in this room, whether they are diehard Jesus followers, whether it is someone who's completely skeptical about Christianity and this Jesus thing or somewhere in between, Lord, we pray that you would draw each one of us a little bit closer to you this morning. We need you here. We need you here. We don't wanna just have a pep rally this morning, Lord. We wanna meet with you, God, face to face. We want to know who you are. Sanctify us by your truth this morning. We love you. And all of God's people said, amen. As I said, my name is Richard Burke and I have been the director of Chi Alpha for seven years now. And oftentimes the thing that is said after I tell someone I'm the director of Chi Alpha or I'm the campus pastor of Chi Alpha is they wonder if that is some sort of weird Christian fraternity and I'm just like the president of it. That's answer is no to that. Chi Alpha is a campus ministry, just like the Wesley Foundation, just like BCM, just like crew. And so we have service on campus. We do ministry, we go on mission trips. And so it's an honor and it's, and it's, it's really cool to work with the university and work with college students because it's this really cool mix of people that are the oddballs in society, right? We aren't the normal people in the college campus that want to follow Jesus. So everyone that's there is there on purpose and they're there because they want to follow the Lord. I've also gotten to help lead the summer college Bible study here at Connection. And in one of our groups earlier this summer, I had some guys that are a part of a fraternity that were in our group and they were talking about how it's really difficult sometimes because they are associated with frat guys and the frat guy lifestyle, but they're Christians. So many times in life, we are defined by the people that we are associated with, are we not? We can't help that. It's just human nature that the people that you hang around or the people that you associate with start to define who you are. Your, or people's perceptions of you are based around those associations. For instance, if there's some guy that drives up to church in his like smart car or like his Fiat and he gets out in his super skinny jeans and has artsy glasses, we can be rest assured that that dude has an iPhone and a MacBook, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Right, um, which by the way, I have a MacBook and an iPhone and those are the greatest electronics on the planet. All of my Mac people said, amen. amen. All right, got something. Some of you guys are associating and defining me right now because I just said that. I'm sorry, I'll try to bring you guys back here. I also drive a four by four extended cab, full size 5.7 V8 truck, all right? Which is the greatest vehicle on planet earth, all right? All my truck people said, 
Amen. All right, bringing y'all back. Good. Despite our best intentions, we define people. We define people based on their associations, the people that you hang around. And I think uh, the, the, unfortunately, this is done in the church as well. This is done about Jesus as well, because who does Jesus associate with? Not just his disciples, he associates with the church. We are the church people. And so for good or for bad, people start to define Jesus based on their associations of the church. I've had negative experiences in the church. Anyone else? You don't have to raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Everybody, all of us, right? Everyone has met churchy people. Everyone has had bad experiences. Well, if you're new, great. You will experience those soon. All right. But there's a man by the name of Gabe Lyons. He writes a book called Unchristian. And what he did was he, he surveyed people outside of the church, asking them their opinions of people inside the church. And overwhelmingly, the perceptions of the church were that they were hypocritical, judgmental, anti-homosexual, and too political. Right? And by association, Jesus then becomes these things as well. Right? We can't help it, but I, I want to challenge you this morning that if you have defined Jesus based on your associations with church people, let's try to like erase that whiteboard of our mind of everything that we think Jesus is. Let's erase that because I think in these six verses that we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 17, that we can get a full, complete picture of this man, Jesus, and what he really stood for. I believe that we can define Jesus by some new terms, not just by the negative experiences we've had in churches or negative experiences that you've had with Christians but let's figure out who this man Jesus is. Let's define him by his actions. Let's define him by who he really was. So we're gonna be in John chapter 17. So open up your phones to John chapter 17. All right. Actually, let's actually open up to John 18. I wanna actually start in, in the very beginning of 18 so we can get a little bit of context of what we're reading in 17. If you don't have your Bibles, they will be up on the screen. Verses will be up on the screen. Chapter 18 starts like this. When Jesus had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kadron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. All right, I just wanna read this so we get a good picture of what is actually going on in John 17, that immediately after this, this is when Judas is about to betray Jesus. Right? We know that in the Last Supper, Jesus is, is talking to all of his disciples and he tells Judas, hey, go, what you're gonna, go do what you're going to do. And then he has this prayer in John 17. So this is, uh, this is Jesus's last solitude time with God. We know that internally Jesus was dealing with all sorts of emotional and spiritual chaos internally, but externally, this was the last kind of moments of peace he was gonna have before he went to the cross. And so I think that we can gather a lot of information about who Jesus really was by looking at his prayer here in John chapter 17. We can learn about who he is by what he's praying for and who he's praying to, because these are the things that are prevalent on his heart. John chapter 17 and verse one starts like this. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. This is how his prayer starts. It's glorify your son that your, that your son may glorify you, God. It's about the time has now come or the hour has come. 
And this isn't just some random hour. This isn't just him trying to make some grandiose speech to God. No, this is the hour and this is the time that God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit have been waiting for since eternity past. They've been waiting for this hour where Jesus is about to atone for our sins and bring mankind back into relationship with God. That's the hour that has come. They've been waiting for this moment. Jesus knows it is here. He knows it is here. And so this prayer are all of his last thoughts. These are all of his last moments in prayer with God and his solitude time alone with God right before he goes to the cross. Let's read our verses for this morning, starting in verse 20 in, ver in chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the last part of Jesus's last solitude time of prayer. So not only are we just kind of looking at Jesus's last prayer, but the last moments of his last prayer this morning. And I think that there are three things that the scripture reveals to us in this passage about Jesus and who he is as a man, who he was as a person. If you're a note taker, write this down. The first thing that we learn about Jesus is his desire to be in personal relationship with us. Verse 20 starts off, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, right? Before this, Brandon talked about it last week that Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's, he's thinking about them, he's praying for them. But then the, the prayer takes a dramatic shift in tone right here in verse 20. It starts to, to shift gears. And Jesus says, my prayer is not for them, the disciples. It's not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And so Jesus starts to look to the future believers. He starts looking to you and he starts looking to me. Now I think that that's really profound because Jesus is in his last moments in solitude with God. He's in his last moments and in his last moments, he's not praying about the torture he's about to endure. He's not praying about the cross. He's not praying for his mother. He's not praying for his brothers. He's not praying about the people that are putting him on the cross. He's not even praying for his disciples anymore. Jesus' outlook on, on this is in his last moments before he is taken captive and before he's tortured, he's thinking about you and he's thinking about me. Oh, I like my amens over here, my amen crew. I like you guys. You guys gotta help me out. Think about how profound that is. I challenge you with this idea is that if we really believe that there's a God in heaven that hears our prayers, then we can define who we love by who we pray for. Can we not? If there is a God in heaven, then we believe that he hears our prayers. Then who we pray for defines who we care about and who we love. 
And this isn't just Jesus praying at some point in his life for us to show that he loves us. In his last moments, in his last prayer, in his last solitude time with God, and in the very last moments of that, he's thinking of us, future believers, and praying for us shows how much he really cares about us. You see, I believe this is that godly love is paved with prayer. Godly love is paved with prayer. If you love someone, you will pray for them. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, to pray for those who persecute you, right? Pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies is because it starts to shift our hearts. It starts to make us actually think of them in a different context. It makes us actually begin to love them. Godly love is, pray, is, is paved with prayer. Think about this for a second. Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ that lived 2,000 years ago, it is possible that he prayed for you more than some of your best friends have prayed for you. Think about that. How much does Jesus love you versus how much your friends love you? And a true godly love is paved with prayer and Jesus has possibly prayed for you more than some of your best friends have prayed for you. What separates Jesus from so many other religions, just about every single other religion, the, the thing that separates him the thing that separates Christianity is that it is personal. God wants to have a personal relationship with us. I love the analogy that Brandon uses when he, when he turns the cup upside down. He says, all of, these, all of other religions seem to put God at the top of a mountain and we are trying to get to him or we're trying to be absorbed into his presence or we are, we are trying to just make our way to this God that's kind of separate from everything else or God is the God that spins the world like a top and just sets back and lets everything else happen. Christianity is different because we have a personal God that cares about us as individuals. And I see that here in this prayer in Jesus' last moments when he looks to us and thinks of us and wants to pray for us before he goes to the cross. You are the thing that was on his thoughts in his last moments in prayer. Think of that's profound. The second thing that we see in this prayer is Jesus' desire for unity. Jesus desires to be unified. He desires us to be unified with one another. Let's read these verses, verse 21, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. I don't know about you guys, but this scripture is slightly confusing and it feels like a tongue twister and it feels like a weird riddle. Like I am in you and you are in me and we are in them and they're all in us and one for all and all for one and who's on first and what's on second. Anyone feel the same way about this passage? Yeah, we got all sorts of things happening. So we're going to do a little illustration here to hope, hopefully give us a better understanding of what Jesus is trying to say because the principle that he is trying to make here is what he is saying will make us united. All right, so here we go. I've got a piece of clay here, a nice tan, pale piece of clay. This is going to represent me, all right? Uh, my family is all Irish, so if, if this truly is me, I put it outside, it's going to turn bright red, all right? That's, this is me, all right? Piece of clay, all right? Let's look at verse 23. Oh, I'm sorry. We also have, this blue is going to be God. Sorry, God, you're very tiny for this illustration. And uh, red is going to be Jesus for the blood, okay? You guys following me? We've got all of these. Verse 23 says, I, being Jesus, am in them, and you, God, are in me. So we've got God is putting himself inside Jesus, right? The word becomes flesh, and God dwells with Jesus. Jesus is holy God, 
and holy himself, right? So God is in Jesus here. You guys follow me. Now we've got God and Jesus, all right? And Jesus says, I am in them. So Jesus is in me, all right? We've got this squishing us all together. Now here I am, full of Jesus, full of God. This is the picture that Jesus is trying to give us here. Okay, you guys follow me so far? All right, good. Now, I've got a good friend in the church named David Shirley. Anybody know David Shirley? Okay, good. David Shirley is a good friend of mine. Met him one of his first days here in Connection. And um, he gave me permission to show you guys this darker complexioned piece of clay. This is David Shirley. All right. Also, <laughs> God lives in Jesus. Jesus lives in David. All right. All right, let's look at the next scripture here in verse 21. Jesus says, just as you are in me, we just showed that, and I am in you. So now we need to keep on going with this. Jesus is somehow, Jesus is also in God. That's what he's telling us. Just as you are in me, I am in you. May they also be in us. Here's our picture of what Jesus is trying to say. So that the world may believe that you have sent me or so that they may be brought to complete unity. Here's the picture. And this is the thing that is, that is, we have to understand this. We have to understand the picture Jesus is trying to draw for us that God lives in Jesus, Jesus lives in us. We live in Jesus, Jesus lives in God. And this is the idea that brings us into unity with one another as Christian brothers and sisters. The thing that's cool about this is when you kind of start to step back, I don't become the, the pale piece of clay anymore. Now I'm some weird orangish, greenish piece of clay. And David also is some more orangey, greenish, darker piece of clay. We are all kind of, uh, we start to look similar because we are in Christ together. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a majority of our New Testament, uses the phrase in Christ 165 times. I think he's trying to beat it into our heads that we need to understand this idea of being in Christ because Christ is in God. Christ lives in us. He's trying to beat it into our heads. We have to understand it. And this is where we get some of our famous scriptures like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or in Christ who strengthens me. Paul also talks about how in Christ, we break down the wall of enmity, you know, all of the divisions, all those things, they come crashing down when we're in Christ. And he's speaking to Jews and Gentiles, which was racially, there was a lot of tension between these groups. And he's saying that those walls between you guys come crashing down when we start to view ourselves in Christ. One of our biggest misconceptions in church, I believe, is our idea of what Christian unity actually looks like. Our Chi Alpha students, we, they, they love the idea of unity, and that's great. We want to be unified and wonder, why are there so, campus, so many campus ministries? Why are there so many denominations? Why are there so many churches? We should be unified together. And so the logical next step is, well, we should just have a big worship concert, and then we're unified, right? That's how it kind of goes. And I want to challenge that idea and that thought that that is not actual Christian unity. I think that's a great thing and we should do that. And that's kind of, it is symbolic of unity, but a Christian unity isn't we just come together and throw a big giant worship concert and say that we're unified. See, our idea of unity has to be universal. It has to apply across the whole entire globe. And I can't just throw a worship concert with my brothers and sisters in underground churches in China. I can't just have a worship concert with my brothers and my sisters in Christ in the Middle East. 
They can't, even if they're in the same town or the same city, just come together and have a worship concert. That doesn't equal Christian unity. The thing that Paul wanted us to understand and what Jesus was communicating here in John chapter 17 is that we have to start to view ourselves in Christ. This is what brings us into unity is when we realize that Jesus Christ lives inside of us. We live inside of him. He lives inside of God and we are unified because of this. This is what Christian unity begins to look like. Another thing that Christian unity is not is it is not avoiding talking about controversial things. It's not avoiding controversial things. It's not trying uh, to, to not offend other people, right? Jesus said that he, he came uh, not to bring peace, but a sword, right? Have you ever read one of Paul's letters? He was very controversial. Paul talked about political confrontations. He talked about theological things. He talked about sin issues. He called a lot of people out on a lot of their junk all the time. Yet Paul is the guy talking about being in Christ and being unified more than anyone else in scripture. And so our definition of Christian unity probably has to shift a little bit that we are allowed to talk about controversial things with one another. We probably should talk about the Supreme Court decision. We probably should talk about racism in the Bible Belt cultural South, right? We should be able to talk about these things. We should be able to have theological conversations. We should be able to talk about things that, that, that have wronged us or hurt us in the past. And we should be able to call each other out when we are not living according to the Bible. Jesus living in us means that we should be a reflection of him. And when we're not, I need you guys to be my brothers and sisters in Christ and let me know about it. In fact, I would challenge the idea of Christian unity to say, and I would say this is that the idea of Christian unity doesn't begin until you have a disagreement with somebody. It's not until you have a differing political opinion than someone. It's not until you have a differing theological opinion with someone. It's not until someone calls you out on your stuff. When it starts to offend you, when you start to kind of rise up and do that thing like, I, don't, I didn't like that. I'm leaving this place or I'm leaving this connect group or I'm leaving this church. That's when Christian unity actually begins because that's when we have to shift our mind's eye to view that person that we think is offending us in light of they are in Christ. This is Christ living in them. They are living in Christ and they are with me in Christ together so we be unified. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus is unity. And some people may challenge that idea and say, I don't know if Jesus was all about unity because he seemed very divisive in saying that he is the only way to God, right? That seems like a very divisive stance. And I would say that I agree with you up into this is that Jesus Christ was divisive only unto the point that he realized this is the only way to unify the entire world. This is the only way to do it. He understood this, that only with him living in us, us living in him, him living in God, this is the only way to bring the world together and to be unified. I challenge you to think of one other world ideology that brings the entire world together, like soccer, right? The World Cup, everyone is all together and excited about the World Cup until your team loses and everybody wants to kill each other, right? <laughs> no one's unified after your team loses, right? What about the ideology that says, just let everyone believe what they want to believe and just accept them for, for, for who they are and accept their beliefs and everyone just go about your own business? Well, Lecrae has some great lyrics to, in a song. And he says, well, but what if my truth says your truth is a lie? Do you accept that truth? Right? 
right? That ideology starts to break down if there's any, anyone that has a set of beliefs or truths that tells someone else that theirs are wrong, right? That's why in that whole debate, in that whole ideology, Christians are the ones that are kicked out, right? Jesus Christ knows that through him is the only way to bring us together and to be unified together. We can be unified with our Christian brothers and sisters that are in Ghana. We can be unified with our Christian brothers and sisters that are in Afghanistan, in China, all over the world, if we view it through the eyes of we are in Christ together. The last thing that we see about Jesus and we learn about him is his desire and his, his passion for world missions. In two verses here, in verse 21, he says, may they also be in us, right here, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. His passion is for, for the world to know that he has been sent. Also in verse 23, I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity, right? Here's our idea of unity again. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The world will know that you sent me. We see Jesus's overwhelming passion for world missions here. And again, his last moments in prayer before he's taken captive, he is praying for the world. He's passionate about world evangelism for the world to know him because God is glorifying him and he gets to glorify God through people knowing who he is. Verse 24 says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. This is very similar to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, verses five and six that say, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of our unity together being the thing that glorifies God, the thing that glorifies him. And so others will come to know him because of the unity that we have. One of the coolest things about Chi Alpha, one of my favorite parts of it, and one of the things I kind of stock a lot of, a lot of pride in, in what, what Chi Alpha is, is that we look like our campus. We're about 35 to 40% African-American, which is what Georgia Southern looks like. We're about three or 4% international students, which is what Georgia Southern looks like. Is that we are seeing unity. We're seeing uh, fraternity guys and sorority girls hang out with our like computer gamer League of Legends guys, right? <laughs> We're seeing uh, the, the jocks hang out with the artists, right? We're seeing actual Christian unity. There's, there's no reason, there's absolutely no reason for any of these people to be hanging out with one another except for the idea that we are in Christ together. And because of that, we've seen amazing things happen through Chi Alpha this past year. We saw over 100 students turn their lives around, right? Over 100 students' salvations or rededications turn their lives around and say, I'm ready to follow Jesus because you walk in the door and you think, wait, this doesn't happen anywhere. Black people and white people, jocks and, and, and computer gamers and fraternity, sorority and, and this and that. You don't see that anywhere else. And you see God's glory and you see this plan lived out. It's what brings people to know the Lord, to see that he is about personal relationship, that he is about unity and he's about world missions and evangelism. 
If you have been here for the past couple of weeks, then you know that we have been in the midst of 21 days of prayer. And I think we're on day 15 now. And each service on Sunday, we start to pray together. And so if that's uncomfortable for you, um, good. All right, we're just gonna make you a little uncomfortable for a minute, but this is what we're gonna do. I'd like everyone to, to stand up and we're gonna start to get into groups of four or five. Last week, Brandon said, if you get in six, we probably won't kick you out. So we'll stick with that. If you get in a group of seven, we might, all right? It might really happen. So groups of four or five, and we are gonna pray for world missions, right? Because... Godly love is paved with prayer. Our heart is gonna be stirred for world missions and world evangelism by beginning to pray for it. See, there's a scripture, it's, one of the, it's the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples as he said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. And the idea was that the, the disciples were in Jerusalem, so they were, they were there. And so, so reaching Jerusalem meant, meant their inner city, their, their city, the place where they were ministering at. And Jude, Judea and Samaria were the next surrounding towns and the next surrounding areas. And the rest of the world is obviously the rest of the world. And so two Sundays ago, we prayed for Connection Church. We prayed for our Jerusalem. Last week, we prayed for the surrounding churches here in Bullock County, the surrounding areas so our Judea and Samaria. And this week we are praying for the world. And so a few things to, to pray for is Honduras. We've been taking trips to Honduras this summer. And so that's a country that the Lord has laid on Connection Church's heart. So pray for Honduras. If you are uncomfortable praying, I challenge you to try to pray. And I'll give you, the, I'll, I'll give you even a template. Just say, God, I pray for the church in blank, Russia, Pakistan, India, wherever. Be with them today. That's all you gotta do. Also, there are some of you that love to pray so much that you will take up like the entire two and a half, three minutes here just praying and then everyone else will be like, man, I didn't even get to pray. So don't do that, all right? In Kaiafa, we call it popcorn prayer. I like 10 or 15 second prayers, just real quick, all right? Praying for whatever's laid on your heart. And you can pray multiple times. Just give everyone an opportunity to pray. So let's pray for the world right now.
got about 30 more seconds. So if you love praying, then conclude your group's prayer. I love you and I thank you that I'm a part of a church that believes in prayer and believes that you move at the sound of your people's voice and we lift up the church all over the world we lift up those that are in Honduras the Christians that are in Haiti the missionaries in countries that are persecuted because of their faith, the ones that are in hiding, the ones that are risking their lives to share your gospel. We, we pray for the underground church in China. We pray for those that have given up easy lifestyles to go and reach people with the gospel. I pray for those that are here in this room that are reaching their coworkers, that are reaching those that you have put in their path. Lord, make us effective communicators of who you are. We want people to know this Jesus, the one that cares about a personal relationship, the one that wants unity across the entire world. Jesus, we love you. We love you. Make yourself known. Glorify your son, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. As we make our way back to our seats, we began by saying that oftentimes we judge people based on their associations. We make judgments about people or, or we define them good or bad based on the people that they are with. And there are times and experiences that many of you, including myself, have maybe had in or around the church or in and around Christians that have defined Jesus in, in, a, in a wrong way. And I challenge you today to let's start to adopt the correct view of who Jesus is. We're gonna spend a little bit of time here for response. And we're gonna respond to, to three things. One is for those of you that you feel the Lord tugging on your heart to be in a personal relationship with him. The other one is for those of you that need to be in unity with someone else or, or someone's else. And the last thing is for world evangelism. We're gonna have the altar open here at the front for a little while. Now, first, I wanna look to those of you that feel Jesus tugging on you, that maybe for the first time today, you see that this idea of Jesus living in you makes a little bit more sense. That the idea that, that Jesus isn't just this, this God that's off in heaven somewhere, that he actually cares about you and who you are, that he wants to be in a personal relationship with you, that he came to earth to reconcile us back to him. If you feel like that's you today, we wants to start that journey with you in prayer. We wanna be unified with you in prayer. And so we're gonna ask you in just a minute to raise your hand up so we can celebrate with you and we can be with, with you as brothers and sisters in Christ together. So if that is you this morning, I challenge you 
I pray for you to be bold and to be courageous and say, that's me today. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Time to be in a personal relationship with Jesus. Is that anyone this morning? Awesome. We have one person that's broken the ice. That's great. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? We don't want to leave this morning without talking about being in relationship with Jesus, right? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We want to celebrate with you. We want to pray with you. Is there anyone else this morning? Raise your hand nice and high. Is there anyone else? All right. All right, good. Then the rest of of you. These next two apply to you. We want to open up the altar here. So I'm going to start praying in just a minute. And if one of these two things uh, strikes you or pricks your heart, I pray that you would, you would come forward come to the altar because prayer is where God changes things. Prayer is where God changes us. And we want to minister with you. We want to pray with you. We want to be unified together. And so I pray that as I start to pray in just a minute, that you would come forward if you feel like you need to be unified with someone or someone's else. If people have wronged you, whether it's family members, whether it's people in your connect group, whether it's a church that you came from before, if you have disunity in your heart, we want to look through the lens that Christ looks at that person or those people that have wronged us, through that church that has wronged you. We want to start to view people through the lens of Christ. We want to look to them through the orange and through the green at how Christ sees them. Jesus came to this earth, not because we're a bunch of perfect people, but because we are a bunch of broken people. And we're a bunch of people that make mistakes. And I have wronged people in ministry before. And I repent and I hope that, the, that they see me through the lens of I am in Christ and I'm a fallen, broken human being trying to do ministry together. So I pray that you would start to view those that have wronged you, that you need to be back unified with in the body, that you would come and pray about that situation here in the front in just a minute. And the third thing is world evangelism. I know that the Lord has put world evangelism on some of your hearts. Some of you are the people that are gonna go to Africa and live in a mud hut for the rest of your lives doing missions. There are some of you that need to do missions right in your workplace here in Statesboro. There are some of you that are teachers, that are nurses, that you can effectively minister to people here. But I wanna open up this altar so those of you that feel called to world missions or called to pray for the world church. If either of those two things apply to you, when I start to pray, I encourage you to get up and to move, to show a, a physical sign, to physically act upon what God is calling you to do by coming here in the front and praying and letting us and our prayer team pray with you and be unified together. So as I start to pray, I pray that you would move. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this morning. Jesus, we want to be the unified church. Prayer paves godly love. Godly love is paved with prayer. And so I lift up those that are in this room that we become unified with our brothers and sisters, those that have wronged us and those that we don't even consider or think about, that we would be unified with the church in China. We'd be unified with the church in India. We'd be unified with the church in Africa. We'd be unified with churches here in Statesboro, that we'd be unified with one another here in this room. Jesus, you came. 
you came to this earth and in your last moments in, in prayer time alone with God, you communicated to us through that prayer that you care about us deeply and personally, that you care about a unity amongst the body of believers. We don't just wanna throw a worship concert. We want to pray for those that we need to be unified with. We wanna be unified. Jesus, we want to partner with you and your heart for world missions and world evangelism. God, we love you so much and we praise you for this morning and what you're doing and who you are for our relationship with you. You are so good. We love you and thank you. It's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Y'all have a blessed week and we will see you soon.